Oh, yeah, and this Sunday is Family and Friends Day, so don't forget that. We sent out the sign-up sheet Monday, I think it was, and so, or yesterday, I can't remember. Um, But um, if you haven't signed up for something and you want to bring something, uh, we're doing tacos, and we're just going to have a good time Sunday after service. Amen. But the week that my family will be traveling um, as we go out on this cruise, um, Brother Jordan Craft is going to be filling the pulpit that Sunday, and uh, Brother Merriman, Brother Merriman, <laughs> Brother Merriman, Brother Mendez is going to be leading the service and making sure everything is going according to like a normal church service should, right? And uh, I believe with these two men, you guys are going to have some powerful church. Amen. Praise God. And that following Wednesday, Brother Goff is going to be here taking care of our Wednesday night service. Amen. So just letting you know what the plans are, um, that we do have plans. But that week that we get back home, I'm planning to get back in the pulpit. And in this platform, we're just going to have good church. And we're going to pray some people back through the Holy Ghost. And we got this Sunday before I'm out of town, and I want to see somebody get the Holy Ghost this week. In fact... I feel like God can fill somebody with the Holy Ghost so much, I'm filling that baptistry up Saturday night, and I want to I start, and I'm asking you, those of you that help us clean, can we make that part of our weekly routine of cleaning, making sure that the baptistry, I think there was a time where I was letting the water will be good for about two weeks before it starts looking nasty, um, and we'll get like a, a water strainer that we can pull the bugs out of it, um, but Anyway, just trying to keep that ready so that when somebody gets a Holy Ghost, if they want to get baptized, we, we don't want to stop and wait. And we can go down to the lake, too. It's all that That's always there. Amen. But I also want to, but it's pretty cold right now. Um, <clears throat> but we, we want to be ready when God wants to move. Amen. So if you, can guys, you guys can help me, I can show you how this thing works. It's not very difficult. There's a drain plug and there's a faucet. And there are towels and cleaner under the sink. <laughs> Amen. So anyway, God bless y'all. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. <clears throat> Does it sound louder out there from this mic tonight? Because I hear myself out there more than up here. It's in that monitor. Okay. Um, all right. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse 17 through 21. <clears throat> the Bible says... Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Everybody say, all things are new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling himself uh, reconciled the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath for Christ, uh, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ said, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
Amen. I'm going to talk to us from this subject tonight, a transformation from an unchanging God this evening. Amen. And hopefully I can get this out how I, I felt this afternoon and uh, let God have his way tonight. Amen. Let's talk to the Lord. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for the opportunity, God, to seek your face. God, I thank you for the opportunity, God, to live for you. God, I thank you for all the things that you've done in my life, the change that you've applied, and, and those things that you've dealt with me with over in all of the years that I've lived for you. But God, tonight I'm asking you that you, as your word goes forth, would issue that challenge from the Holy Ghost. God, that would dig deeper into our hearts and our minds, that we could become more like you and be the vessels that you need us to be. We thank you for your grace and your mercy tonight and your life-changing power. We love you today. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can be seated tonight. <clears throat> One thing that I want to establish before we get far into this tonight, I want you to understand that God is unchanging. We know that God has not changed from the first page of the Bible all the way to the last page of the Bible. He's the same God. He started the beginning and he began to speak the worlds into existence. And in the end, he was receiving the worlds unto himself into heaven. Amen. We know that God is never changing. Malachi chapter number 3 and verse 6 says, For I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Jesus Christ, Hebrews tells us, verse 13 and verse chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. There is no variance in God. I should have put that scripture in here. Amen. In him, there is no variance. With God, when he says yes, it's always going to be yes. When he says no, it's always going to be no. When he said, I'm going to bless you when you do these things, he will always bless you when you do those things. Amen. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said, if you, if you are consistently seeking after me, he said, guess what? You're going to find me. Amen. He said, you know, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. He said, but when you ask the Father anything in my name, you will receive it. That's what the scripture teaches me. Amen. That's why I still pray today. That's why I still call on the name of the Lord, because I know that he still answers prayer. Amen. The God of the Old Testament the God is the same God in the New Testament. And the God of the New Testament is the same God that's in this building here tonight. And he's going to be the same God tomorrow when you wake up in your bed. Amen. And he's going to be the same God when you get up in a year from now should he tarry his coming. Amen. Another thing that I want you to understand about God. First off, God cannot change. Secondly, God cannot lie. Amen. God cannot lie. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. 
neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Uh, hath he said, and shall he not do it? Uh, or has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Amen. Hebrews 6 and 18 says this, uh, that by two immutable things in which it was, everybody say, impossible. Everybody say, impossible. It's impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Amen. It is impossible for God to lie. Brother Tuffy, have you ever heard me talk about why it's impossible for God to lie? Maybe not. Well, good. I get to talk about it again. All right. So I got a question for you. If I told you right now that it was the middle of June, it was about 75 degrees outside, and the sun was shining at high noon, right now, you would look at me and say, you're crazy. Because you know right now it is 7.55, and it's pitch black outside, and it is 46 degrees outside. And it's January the 18th. Now, that means I just didn't tell you the truth. <laughs> Today is not June 15th. We'll just go with that. In fact, if we just go June 18th, that's a great day of the year. Um, <clears throat> that's my birthday. Um, but it's June 18th. It's 75 degrees. It's noon outside. But you know what would happen Donnie, if God were to say to us right now, it's June the 18th, and it's 75 degrees outside, and it's high noon and the sun is shining, you know what would happen? We would either go back into 2022 and June 18th, or we would go forward to 2023, but right now, <laughs> we would have just time traveled because when God says something... The reason God cannot lie, it's impossible for him to lie, is because when God speaks, it's what it is. That's why God can look at a ball of mess, what he did, right? A, a ball that was without form, didn't have any void. And I say a ball, but I mean, that you just got to understand, it was void and it was without form. So it wasn't circular, it wasn't rectangular, it was a whole conglomerate of those things. And God looked at that, and he said, let there be. And guess what? Everything, it turned into a ball, and everything came into being. When God looks at a situation, even if, man, I would love for it to be 75 degrees and sun shining outside. I got a lot of things I can do in that kind of weather. But you know what? If God wanted it to be June 18th, 75 degrees and sun shining outside in the middle of the day, it would be that. Jesus was praying in the, in the Garden of Eden, and he said this. He said, Lord, sanctify them through thy word. Do you know what else he said in that verse? He said, thy word is truth. So when God speaks, truth 
is spoken because his word and truth you guys understand the word synonymize they're synonymous i'm making up words synonymizing <laughs> no i'm just kidding but they are synonymous with one another god's word and truth you can't break them apart because when god speaks things become even though they weren't before but let me tell you something there is one who is a liar and do you know that every lie that's ever told in the entire world, do you know where that lie was formed? The Bible calls Lucifer the father of all lies. That means he's created every lie that's ever been told. That's what the scripture tells us. And it started in the Garden of Eden. And you know what? Some of his lies are so close to the truth that if you don't pay attention to what the enemy is saying, and even as small as the three-letter words, like the conjunctions and, and those little, if you, you've got to pay attention to how he's saying these things. Because if he's, he even changes the, a single two-letter word, like it, that could change the whole meaning of that sentence. My whole point in this is, I got to be careful. I got to be good. People are going to think I'm even crazier than they already think I am. Sister Veronica, when she was here, she goes, oh, too late. Because I, I said, you guys are going to think I'm crazy. She goes, oh, too late. Um, so that's all right. I know people think I'm crazy, but I want you to consider this with me. If you are always speaking truth, in whose kingdom are you abiding? In God's kingdom. But do you know whose kingdom you're abiding when you allow yourself to even stretch the truth? This is the qualifying balance here, folks. I want to make sure that I am identifying with the Lord's kingdom. And how can I do that? It's by not telling even a little white lie. Because any small lie, Jesus said, all liars shall have their place in the lake of fire. I want to make sure that I'm identifying with my God. Because his word is truth. And his word never changes. Two things you've got to understand. Number one, he doesn't change. Number two, he doesn't lie. So if lies begin to be exposed in your life, guess who's working in your life in those areas? It's not God. It's definitely the enemy. And all you've got to say is, hey, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. And guess what? He has to go. Amen. Because he has no power when we, we, we exercise the power of the name of Jesus. Oh, man, I didn't come here to prepare to preach and teach about the power in the name of Jesus. But you've got to understand, there is, there is power when you proclaim that name that, that is attributed to truth. The things that are false have to flee from you. And you are able to grow closer to him. Amen. It is impossible for him to lie. Praise God. God is truth. And this is the reason he cannot lie. 
we must also have faith that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who seek after him. Amen. Hebrews 11 and 6 is what the Bible tells us, where the Bible tells us, but without faith. But without faith, it is, there's the word again, it's impossible to please God. How many of you want to be pleasing to God? You just got to have faith that he is, but your faith can't stop in just believing that God exists. It's got to go a little bit further because the Bible didn't say that he that cometh to God must believe that he is or that he is a rewarder. Now you got to understand, is a conjunction the, the right word for this word and? Is that right? Is and a conjunction here, Reagan? Yeah? Now when you see and in the word of God, or any written book, and it's tying two things together, do you realize what that means? The Bible says, we talked about this with uh, baptism, right? The, the scriptures teach us that he that um, believeth, Jesus said, and is baptized, shall, there, yeah, you're going you're gonna to be Filled with the Holy Ghost. God's going to speak. He's going to use you. And you're going to be able to cast out devils. And you're going to be able to speak in new tongues. That's what the Bible tells us. But Jesus said it, it comes when you believe and are baptized. So it means you have to have both things involved in order to be saved. You've got to have faith. And that you also get to act on that faith and be baptized in Jesus' name. And the next thing you've got to understand here in Hebrews 6 and 18 it is impossible for God to lie. I'm sorry, 11 and 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. You've got to believe God exists. I don't believe there's any atheists sitting on these pews tonight. Amen. But I want you to understand, you've got to go further than believing that God exists. You've got to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen. When you begin to seek God, God wants you to believe, hey, I'm going to receive the things uh, that I'm seeking after God for. Amen. Because God always rewards those uh, who seek after him in diligence. Uh, I don't have time. Another whole lesson that I've taught around here before comes to mind. Uh, amen. Adding to your faith. The, the apostle Peter in that passage, he says, give all diligence. Add to your faith. I don't have time to get into all that, but I, I, I challenge you. I think it's, what, is it 1 Peter chapter number 1? Let me go check and make sure I tell you the right place. Amen. Good evening. Praise God. All my papers are sticking together. not seen 
I want to make sure I give you the right passage because I want you to study it. I want you to dig into it for yourself. Amen. Yep, Second Peter. I apologize. Second Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 1 and going down all the way through verse 11. Amen. First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, verse uh, 1 through 11. 1 through 11. And uh, you'll find here, he says, you need, to, you need to do your due diligence. You've got, to, you've got to make sure that you're doing the right things. And uh, he said, whereby are given unto a succeeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, uh, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and all these things. And then he gets down to the end. And he says here in, in verse 8, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And But he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. And verse 10 says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence. Here it is again. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. And so I want you to, I just wanted to help you understand. It wasn't just the writer of Hebrews that talks about making sure that we're seeking after him diligently. But Peter talks about it. And Paul talks about it. We could go through each of these different epistles and find out where the, the apostles are talking about. You need to be diligent about seeking after God. In fact, the Old Testament prophet said, for when they shall seek with me, when they shall seek for me with their whole heart, here we are, another implication of complete dedication and diligence. I've got to give it all to God. Amen. He will always reward them that diligently seek him. Peter tells us that reward is that you will make it to heaven. Now, I want you guys to understand, I don't believe in un, uh, unlimited or what, what is that? Um, unrestrained. This, these aren't the words I'm looking for, but the, the whole concept of um, being saved, eternal security. Well, that's, that's grace, right? That's what people talk about grace. But, but what I'm trying to get to is there, there are restrictions in eternal security. But the Bible teaches eternal security. It does. Here in 1 Peter, you find one of those teachings where if you do these things, then you will never fall. I want to make sure I never fall. In the, in the kingdom of God, I want to make sure that I stay away from the sinful nature that I have innate within me. It's just there. It, it always, every day I wake up, it's there to say, hey, you, you need to do this or you need to do that. And guess what? My, my old flesh and this old mind of mine says, hey, you got too much to do to worry about praying today. Amen. And so, so you have to put that aside and say, all right, I'm going to pray anyway. I'm going to open the book of God and I'm going to dig into the word and I'm going to find out what he has to say to me. I'm going to do that diligently because I want him and I know he will reward me when I seek after him. Amen. And so if you seek after him, you will find him. 
You can find that in 2 Chronicles 15 and 4. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. In the New Testament, Jesus tells us something very similar in Matthew 7. Verses 7 through 8 says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everybody that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Amen. The Bible tells us over and over and over and over and over and over again that God never changes. Amen. He answered their prayers in the Old Testament and he answered their prayers in the New Testament and he's still answering prayers today. Amen. This unchanging God is in the transforming business. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 7, verse 17 the Bible, we started out with this scripture tonight, says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. And so when our unchanging God is sought for, amen, like we've been talking about this evening, and he, and, and, and he is found, things begin to change on the inside of us. The definition of the word translated from the original language here, amen, it, 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 is, it simply means not existing before. This transformation, this new man that the, the Apostle Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians. It, he, the word that he used means not existing before. Made, it's been introduced, it's discovered recently or now for the first time according to what we can find in the, in the dictionary, amen, of these words. And you can find here that when he's referring to this new man, he's, he's saying, hey, yeah, you used to be that. But when you sought after God, he reached down and he changed you, and now you're not that same person. You're a new man. You have a new life. And you have new goals and aspirations, and those should align themselves with the spirit that now lives inside of you. Amen. Praise God. So when his unchanging spirit comes on the inside of us, it demands a change of us. Because our spirits, our lives naturally are contrary to him. But when his spirit comes on the inside, those things that are contrary to him begin to run away. Amen. That's why it's just important. You say, how can I stay living for God? How can I stay close to God? It's really, really a simple answer, but it's not so simple to follow through with. But that is stay full of the Holy Ghost. Stay full of his spirit, and you don't have to worry about sin coming back into your life. Seek after him. Stay full. When you're full, there's no room for anything else. Maybe it's time for me to get the ping pong balls out, throw them in the vase, and, and pour water in there again. And, uh, you got to understand, when I filled that thing with water, those ping pong balls come flying out of that vase. Why? Because there was no space after that denser object got into that vase. And God's spirit is more dense. Can I put it that way? It is more uh, fulfilling than anything this world can offer. It is. Amen. 
Praise God. And so when it comes on the inside, he is going to demand, amen, changes in our heart and in our mind, the way that we think. These things aren't going to be the same way. That's why I believe the Apostle Paul told the church at Rome in, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he said, I beseech you, I'm begging you, brethren, amen, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, he said, but be ye, here's that fancy word, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You've got to understand, when God comes into the picture, when you encounter God in a real way, Change is going to happen. Amen. I'm going to wrap this up, but I, I want to go through one little story that I, every year when I'm reading through the Bible, I said this Sunday night, so if you heard me say anything Sunday night in Olathe on their live stream, just listen to it twice, okay? Um, but I'm just going to let you know, every time I read the Bible through, Brother Merriman, I do miss him, Brother Mendez. Every time I read Genesis through, and I get to the part where Jacob has been at his uncle Laban's house because his mom, Rebecca, said, hey, I don't want you marrying any of these crazy women around here, these Canaanite ladies. I want you to go back to my homeland, and I want you to find a bride from my homeland. Because I know what they were raised to be. And so he went back to his father, his, well, you know, his father-in-law Laban, but his uncle Laban. And he, he went back to his uncle Laban's house and he, he labored. And we find out he labored. He said, you know, Uncle Laban, I really like Rachel. And, and he said, I, I want to marry Rachel. Uncle Laban said, all right, I'm excited. You know, you're a good man. Rachel's a good girl. You know, you guys can get married. And guess what? They arranged. And Jacob said, oh, you know what? I'll work for you seven years. After seven years, you give me Rachel, and she can be my wife. And so seven years came up. And guess what? The whole point of he woke up the next morning and realized it was not Rachel? I have no idea how he did that. But um, all I'm saying is he woke up the next morning and realized it was Leah. And he was not happy. But he still loved Rachel so much that he went back to Uncle Laban and said, Uncle Laban, how could you do this to me? Why did you give me Leah? And Uncle Laban said, well, you've got to understand, our custom is, if the older daughter isn't married yet, she's got to be married first before I can give off the other daughter. So Jacob said, okay. Another seven years? Seven years. And at the end of seven years, he got Rachel. Praise God for that. His uncle followed through on his, on his word. What? Did I say something wrong? So seven years, we're in 14 years into this situation. I feel like I said something really wrong or something. Anyway, um, 
for 14 years. Jacob was there. He was working for his uncle. The next thing that he did, he, he bargained with his uncle and said, hey, you know what? I'll work for you for so, such, so many years, and you know what? I'll take all the speckled and striped livestock, and I'll take those, and, and you know what? Anything that is solid, you keep. And so they agreed to that. And the sons of Jacob was doing something right or something because his herds began to grow astronomically, and Uncle Laban's weren't getting as big as Jacob's were. And so Jacob's brother-in-laws were like, hey, he's, he's messing around. He's, he's doing something weird. Well, guess what? God was blessing Jacob. He was trying to draw Jacob back. And Jacob got so sick and tired of these guys turning him and yanking his rope and pulling him all kind of different ways. And finally he went to his wives and he said, ladies, your dad has changed my wages so many times. I can't remember off the top of my head. He gave an exact number in the Bible. He changed my wages so many times in all of these years, and I've given him all of these years so that I could have you guys and I could have this livestock. He said, you know what? Tomorrow we're getting out of here. And so they packed everything up, and they started moving on. And he said, we're going to go back to my mom and dad's house. We're going back to mom, where, where Isaac and Rebecca live. And, you know, it would be good for me to be home even when my dad passed away. And he's getting up in years. And, and so they all packed up, and they started heading home. I hope I'm not boring you too much. Just ride with me for just a moment more. They started heading back. There's a whole bunch of stuff happened on their trek back. But the one instance that I want to pull out of this situation was when they started heading back, they were coming close to Edom. And in this place was where his brother Esau was living. And he realized, I can't really justify going around this land to avoid my brother. It's not cost effective. I need to go through his land to get to where I'm trying to get to. Now, if you remember, he had, he had messed his brother up. He stole from his brother. He stole his birthright. He stole his brother, and he stole the father's blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. And at the end of the day, Esau said, I'm going to kill that guy. I'm going to kill him. And he realized mom was behind this all and that she had sent him on his way so that he couldn't kill him. And, and, and Jacob, last thing he knew was Esau's mad at me and he's looking to kill me, but I need to go through his property. And so I need to contact him. So he sent some servants on up the way and they were arranged things and he, he was going to meet with Esau. But it was the night before he met with Esau that he went and he sent all of his family across this little brook. And after he got them all settled, he got up himself, and he went back across that brook, Jabbok. And the Bible tells me that he wrestled there with a man all night long. That's got to be one of the longest wrestling matches in history. He said, I'm not letting you go. He said, because I know you've got something that I need. 
And he said, he knew he wasn't just another man. He said, you've got to be some being that God sent to me to deal with me and talk to me. And he said, I wrestled with him. And I wrestled with him. And he wrestled with him. And he wrestled with him. And the man said to Jacob, let me go for the day is breaking. The dawn is upon us. I've got to get out of here. You've got to let me go, Jacob. By the way, many people have said that Jacob was a really scrawny guy and he couldn't hold his own. Let me tell you something. You wrestle all night long and you can't break loose of an angel. That angel can't break loose of you. Uh, let me tell you something. You're not some scrawny fella. You're, 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 you know how to scrap. And, and so he, he's going at it. And he's going to town and, and they're wrestling. And that angel said, hey, let me go. I've got to get out of here. The day is about to break. And I don't want to be seen around here. And Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm not letting you go until I get what I need from you. This is where I'm trying to wrap this up tonight. And Jacob said, look, you've got to understand, I am in desperate need of a change. If something doesn't change... I can die tomorrow and Esau could kill all of my offspring and my wives and everything that I own. He could wipe us out in an instant because he knew his brother was powerful. But he said, I know I got a hold of something that can change everything. And the angel reached down and he said, all right, he touched him in the thigh. And it shrunk up the sinew, the Bible says. And he began to limp, and he was still wrestling. And he finally said, Jacob. He didn't call him by name. He said, what is your name? And you realize what Jacob means in the scripture. The the name Jacob means supplanter, deceiver. That's what his name meant in the original. And you've got to understand that when he was looking that angel in the eye and that angel says, I want you to tell me your name. Who are you? Identify what you are. And he had to look at the angel and say, I'm a deceiver. That's what he had to do. I'm a supplanter. I'm one that wreaks havoc in people's lives. I, I'm a con man. Can I put it that way? Make it more, more, more realistic for us in our minds. He was a man who, who was constantly trying to connive and cheat somebody else. He said, but the angel had to make him come to realization of who he had been all of these years up until this moment. And now he's been touched in the side. And there's an evident physical mark upon this man. And he had to realize, I've been a sinner all my life. And before the angel got loose, he said, no more shall you be called Jacob, deceiver, con artist. But now you're going to be called Israel, a prince with God. You're not the same man, Jacob. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. You're not the same man that you used to be. And he left that encounter with God. He, he was 
limping as he walked up to his family that morning. It was evident there was a change in this man. He wasn't the same man that they saw the night before. He had some kind of deformity. Now, he, he, he somehow seemed different in his demeanor because his whole entire life was changed from being a con artist now to being a prince with God. And the one in whom the entire nation of Jews would be named after, Israel. The one who God called out and changed. When Jacob got a hold of the unchanging God, when he finally let him go, he was changed. He was transformed. He was made new. It wasn't the same man that walked across Jabbok the night before. He was a different man. A transformation from an unchanging God is what I'm talking about tonight. There's so much here that we need to learn about. Let me tell you something. When you get a hold of God, you, my friend, are going to be changed. When you find a place somewhere, Brother Tuffy, I don't know how many times in my life, I have had to wrestle with God because I didn't want to do what God was asking me to do. But I had to come to grips, Sister Cecilia, with myself and who I was and what God was trying to do. And before it was all said and done, I said, God, whatever you need, if you need to change me, do it. Because I want to be a vessel used in the kingdom. Can we stand tonight? I don't know about you, but I want to have an encounter like Jacob had. I want to have a moment with God like Jacob had with God. And I want to walk away. And when I do, I want everybody around me to see he's different. He's been affected by something that's changed him. Can we talk to God for a few moments tonight?